0: Welcome to another episode of the Deep Dive with Ayal Shai. My guest today is Stephanie Lep. Hi, Stephanie.
1: Hi, Ayal.
0: It's so good to have you here and to have you pronounce my name very precisely. Uh, I so, feel thank really you good for that. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is an idea that's been helping you live well?
1: Mm. Well, I don't know if this is helping me live well. I mean, it's an idea I've been thinking a lot about. I guess it is kind of giving me clarity right now. So I've been thinking a lot about truth. That's one thing I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about a lot of things, but truth, truth is one. And um, yeah, it just, I look around and I see a lot of struggle with truth. Um, there is, uh, you know, there's some people that are nervous that we're losing it that we're kind of going to a pre-enlightenment darkness and it's like must cling to truth at all costs, lest we revert to this dark age. Um, And then I see, and then I see people who are, well, let's just, let's just, let's just frame it as kind of the three camps, the three camps I see. So the first camp, we can call that camp, naive realism. It's just black and white truth or truth is on the verge of death must rescue it, must eliminate all misinformation, you know, black and white, vaccines are 100% safe, and QAnon is 100% false. Okay, and then there's the, uh, and that, well, I'll just leave it there. There's the naive realist camp. Then there's the, let's just say the relativist camp, which is the there's no such thing as truth anyway. You know, how could we possibly know this whole, like, it's, you know, it's all been, we've been pretending there was black and white, and certainly we can try to know certain things and approximate, but there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's all gray. Vaccines are, you know, maybe more safe, but it's not a hundred percent. And You know, it's nothing is, it's not black and white. It's gray. And then the, the last camp would, would, let's say, be the nihilist camp. And the nihilists say, um, even if there were such a thing as truth it wouldn't matter because all because what matters is power what matters is persuasion so even if there were such a thing as truth you know someone by virtue of the power they have can declare an election stolen and then you know drive hundreds of millions of people in that direction and so i what is giving me clear the idea that i'm that is maybe helping me live my life these days is that um yeah, on their own, I would say each camp is kind of a, a dead end. Um, mm-hmm. Or, but let, actually, I'll say on, um, but they each hold a partial truth, um, and maybe the way I w- and so and so maybe the the idea is is integration, right? The idea is, well, there is truth; it can be gray, and sometimes we don't need it, right? So, just to take things, so you know, vaccines. Um, you know, there there are there are risks, but there we could say their public health benefits outweigh their risk. Like there is truth and but it and it can be gray. QAnon, you know, it's there you know, there are maybe a, a, a you know, a cabal of people who have way too much power over the world, but it's not Satan worshipping reptiles, right? right? So there's some, you know, so we, we can there's some truth, it can be gray, and sometimes We don't need it. And I can elaborate on the circumstances in which we don't need truth because that might be a blasphemous thing to say. But I guess just to kind of close, um, I think, yeah, I think what I would be the idea that I'm sitting with is something like a new approach to truth or a new relationship with truth where we can we can hold it. Thus far, we've been holding it very tightly. You know, we could say once upon a time there was no. And then came the Enlightenment, and then came science, and then came reason, and then came. And we've been holding on to it really, really, really tightly. And now with misinformation and deep fakes and blah blah mm. we're so scared, and we're gripping onto it even tighter. And what I'm saying is, maybe, maybe it's possible to hold it tightly, hold it loosely, and hold it not not at all. And that's kind of the new. That's the new integration: is the capacity to have. You know, uh, uh, and and we, I could even just say a more evolved relationship with truth.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you say you know that the times are changing, literally, a new uh, new environments are springing up, uh, an environment of uh, globalism, and I think that's exactly what we have to do is to evolve because what uh, has served us so well in the last 200 years, might not be good for this day and age anymore, and we could even argue that, you know, the, the the ways in which we found truth in our mind so well, uh, at least in the West, in this uh, Enlightenment years, uh, maybe we shut out some important truths in order to get to this level of certainty, and, you know, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to go more into what Truth is at all because I'm gonna place myself in a in a fourth camp and maybe, you know, kind of um, riff on that later. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested um, to hear from you a little bit about how you how you even uh, come to de- to to deal with this concept so much and and think about because I think it's it's relevant. Obviously, um, past projects you've been inv- involved in and probably future ones really have. Uh, um part uh, the truth is a, is a central concept in it.
1: yeah well yeah the the reason i started thinking a lot about truth is yes because i two years ago i launched a project called deep reckonings which is a video series a series of deep of explicitly marked deep fake videos it's very clear that they're fake that imagine morally courageous versions of our public figures So if Mark Zuckerberg had a crisis of conscience, what would he say? And and what would that look like? And it's absolutely explicit that the video is fake, not just because I'm not interested in deceiving anybody, but because that's kind of part of the power of the medium is that you can know it's fake and it still influences you. It still moves you to see Mark Zuckerberg say these things. And I, you know, this is not satire. This is not parody. I'm not trying to throw Mark Zuckerberg under the bus. He does enough of that for himself. There's enough parody and satire out there. I really was trying to kind of imagine if this person had a crisis of conscience. And of course, this is me in my own mind and I have my biases, but yeah, this is not, I don't know if I would call it, it's it's like critical fan art. It's like tough love. Um, but I, the, the question, the kind of the animating question of the project was, can we use, how might we use our synthetic selves to elicit our better angels, and that's and I can I can say more about the project, but but that the project kind of demanded that I come to terms with the ethics of even doing this in the first place. Like, under what circumstances, if any, is it ethical to create a deepfake of someone without their consent? That could take us our entire two hours. I have a lot to say about that question, but but um, but yeah, I w- sitting with the question at least of truth and putting something that is, even if it's marked, it has this effect on us. We now have a memory, let's say, people who have seen this have a memory in their minds of watching, and does that create a false sense of empathy for him? Like, what if I like him more? Like, I did end up liking Donald Trump and Mark Zuckerberg and Alex Jones and Rick Havana more after writing these scripts for them and then watching them say these words. So, truth, so you know, I get like, I guess, gosh, there's so much I could say, but I'll just say, you know, I came to, even if we were to eliminate all deep fakes and all misinformation, which is not possible, but even if we were, we would still be in a post-truth crisis. Our post-truth crisis is a crisis of epistemological proportions. Even if we got all the misinformation out of the way, this is a question of how we know what we know. It's also a question of what is the goal of knowing, right? What, wh- Why do we even want to know truth in the first place is the, is where we can, let's say, begin. What is the purpose of truth? There is such a thing as truth for its own sake, right? Just like scientific research, for, like the scientific pursuit for its own sake. But we, we also want to know truth so that we can do things, right? So we can like solve problems and build houses and cure diseases and do all kinds of things. And so there is the question under what circumstances do we need what kind of truth or do we need what kind of relationship with truth? I mean, just to give a very specific example, virtual reality therapy is a completely simulated environment. It is not true. And yet we use these simulated environments, let's say, to heal ourselves of PTSD. If uh, that, Let's say one example. that's a, we, We're putting ourselves in a completely fake environment and faking ourselves into thinking it's real in order to heal ourselves of something. Um, Another example, I'll just give a few examples of cases where we might want to kind of relax our relationship with truth. So I think um, the war with the Ukrainian war, Ukrainian propaganda, let's say, um, you know, the propaganda that Zelensky has been putting out there, I think really beautifully complicates our relationship with truth because is he telling the truth? Is he lying? Is he telling a story just to help Ukrainian soldiers feel better about the war so that they stay engaged in it? Maybe, but but, but we're okay with that because, because of the purpose that it's serving, right? So we're willing to relax our relationship with truth in pursuit of other goals, right? T- truth exists in tension with other values. Truth is not the one and only value. Maybe I'll just give one last example and then I'll... So this is, this is for, directly from Deep Reckoning. So the way that the... So I did one. One of the videos is Alex Jones, and he. And for those of you who don't know Alex Jones, he is a master uh, conspiracy theorist. Like convicted but, but conspiracy theorist. Conv- yes. um Yes. So he 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 became well known for spreading the lie that sa- that the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax, and he has spread all kinds of lies on his. On his platform and he so he has his reckoning his deep reckoning his imaginary reckoning he has it on the joe rogan experience he has it in dialogue with joe rogan joe rogan they know each other and are actually somewhat friends and joe rogan has actually tried to elicit a reckoning from him somewhat successfully um but so this is you know the the deep reckoning he actually has it in full on the show and at the end of the video alex um Alex Jones kind of, he has his whole reckoning. And then he turns to Joe Rogan and he says, so what do I do with this video? And Joe Rogan is like, well, what do you mean? And Alex Jones says, well, it's fake, but it's true. And Joe Rogan says, well, why don't you just pretend that this video is real? And Alex Jones says, well, that's crazy. And Joe Rogan <laughs> just starts laughing because how ridiculous is it that Alex Jones thinks it's crazy to pretend <laughs> that something is fake, is real, if he has spent so much of his time pretending that things that are fake are, okay. So, and then and then Joe Rogan says, well, why don't you just come on my show and do the real version? And so, the, really but funny. it begs the question, like, what if Alex Jones pretending that his deep reckoning, that his fake reckoning was real is what allowed him to stop broadcasting lies. Like, would we be prepared to sacrifice the value that would come from the, you know, transformation of Alex Jones just because it involved a lie? Like, what if if Alex Jones just didn't tell us? It was like a placebo effect. It was like, I won't tell you whether it's fake or real. Like, are we more comfortable with that? But that just I think that to me kind of illustrates and, you know, there are other examples, but illustrates the way that truth exists in tension with other values. It's not the one and only value. So we need to learn how to hold it. I don't know if tightly and loosely is the good way to think about it, but it's a way to think about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. And as, as you gave these um, modern examples, modern is in contemporary, talking about AR, or VR. Or something like that, you know. Immediately, I was thinking about like how far back can we can we take it and still find things that are images that are being projected for us, and you know we can choose whether to treat them as real as not. And and this actually, you know, one scene that came to mind is like William Wallace in in Braveheart, right, or something like that, and um, he's giving some speech or any kind of speech by um, a cinematic. Um, protagonist to his band of soldiers and trying to rally in them for battle. Like any kind of rhetorician is actually presenting the people in front of him with an image that, you know, could actually make, um, make them spring into action, have that kind of motivation going after him to battle. And these people would not have been in that state ready to go into battle unless there was some sort of charismatic person conjuring up an image for them to look at momentarily, you know, be completely, um, completely in that moment with that image, rather than any image of the actual Hills around them and then responding to that and changing their state. Right. Um, also, also, um, VR uh, great because it's so immersive but actually any book we read just conjures, conjures up images for us and we don't feel like we're confused in any way but there is a, a suspension of um, of belief right or or something like mm-hmm. that of disbelief that la- yeah uh, of course yeah. <laughs> um, we suspend our disbelief and we just flow with the thing and then we find ourselves safely back at our house by the end of it and i think the whole discussion on on truth and all that is is really interesting because um you live in california you're pretty much on a fault line right
1: yes yeah, we actually it, just it, had a earthquake runs, a couple of weeks ago Uh huh. oh okay, yeah
0: and this is not even a yeah. rare occurrence and i had just listened to uh, jim jeffrey's uh podcast on earthquakes um so this is fresh uh-huh. in my mind but in a sense I view this uh, the spread of misinformation by people who want to achieve their own whatever. And again, this is a good question. Like, could if if the if the people are not nefarious and their intentions uh, are we actually rooting for them? Good question. Uh, But let's say nefarious um, intentions, people spread misinformation. Should we be trying to shut them down and have all our power kind of thrown on that thing to to um yeah clap down on them and make sure that they do that or do we make our houses earthquake proof you know what which makes sense is like are you going to go after the earthquakes and make them stop at the um also by the way if we did do that you know i i think it have adverse effects on the earth in terms of i don't know giving letting some of the heat out and and so on or are you going to work on proofing your house for this or in the case or in the case of information are you going to teach people to think critically so that they have a filter and then no matter what kind of information um, you encounter you're able to do the work for yourself because as long as there are gatekeepers, even if they are gatekeepers for the truth, they are still fallible humans. And um, I I think it should be obvious that the onus should be on each person individually to be able to sift through information and arrive at truth.
1: Yeah, well, I w- I would definitely say a little bit of all of the above. <laughs> it's not <laughs> either or, but I think right now we're very, we're overly focused, let's say, on the right on the like deep fake detector, like you know, eliminating misinformation, and not enough focused yeah, on, that's, on that's proofing our house. Right? And so, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I would say um, along with deep fake detectors and, you know, misinformation, you know, like convicting Alex Jones and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Along with all of that, I am calling for, I mean, straight up for an evolution in our epistemology. I'm calling for the next enlightenment, a new relationship with truth. And and actually the new relationship, I mean, you, you, you just, I can't remember what you just said right before that, that kind of brought this to mind, but the current relationship with truth Assumes, oh, it was when you were saying um, from Braveheart, like when people speak to their, when someone speaks mm-hmm. to their people and rallies them, and then that it's there's a little bit of self fulfilling prophesizing there, right? It's I am, mm-hmm. and and the current vision of truth kind of makes this assumption that we are distinct from reality somehow. We are actively Mm. co-creating reality with the way that we think and the way that we speak. Some of us, of course, have more power to do this than others, like Donald Trump, like people who have power or have broadcast capacity. But there's something here about kind of like um, absolving ourselves of that illusion that we are somehow distinct, like entirely distinct, and and, um, having a relationship with truth that takes responsibility for our co-creation of it right for our co-creation of reality and so the, and so then the onus is it's not just are you speaking the truth but like are you being a responsible steward of what happens in the world you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and like part of part of that i mean truth is a, is 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 an essential um, i don't know like let's let's just say triad truth goodness beauty you know is is the way that you're relating to truth in service also or in relationship also or in balance with goodness and beauty or something. But like truth is a part of this equation, obviously, but there's also, like you said, like we are we are doing a co creative act with our words, with our speech. So let's uh let's be responsible stewards of that.
0: Yeah. 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 It's um it's it's so interesting to to think about these things, and I love that you bring up beauty and and good because these are uh, concepts that I, I've thought a lot about in my capacity as a uh, dialectician and somebody who's working with people on creating good concepts, true concepts. And I say true concepts, and it sounds weird because actually relativism is 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 the default basically in our country when it comes when it comes to um to agreeing on different concepts in conversation because of course uh people don't actually talk about the same thing when they say things like justice and love and so on right They often have different conceptions of it, but they just kind of would like to assume that the other person has the same thing. If you try and ask questions, kind of like what Socrates did with people in ancient Athens, you find that uh, relativism is like a very safe go-to kind of ism because then it kind of says, well, hey, it's We're all okay, okay? My definition is as, is as good as your definition. And it, it takes a lot of, of gentle kind of picking the things around it so that you don't trigger the other person into um, completely just disappearing from the discussion. Um, and when I tell people that I'm going to help them think about true concepts, that's kind of weird. People are like, um, no, what a beauty is to me, uh, could be a totally different thing than it is to you. And I'm like, well, the instances of beauty, what you find beautiful, the instances are going to be very different because they're based on expectation on culture or something. But actually you can think of three beautiful things in your mind that you find beautiful. Think about what makes them beautiful and let's find out if it's not exactly beauty is to you is actually what beauty is to me. Sure, the instances mm. are different, but um, more than likely we're going to find that actually beauty is the same for us. Mm. And um, with with truth, that's, that's really interesting because I think for, for a lot of people there is um, a confusion between truth and reality. In in colloquial Mm. terms, in colloquial terms, we think that whatever is true is really out there, Uh, whereas Mm. uh, for me, I think truth is a relationship between the concepts that we have and we apply them and and actually what is out there that can't be accessed unmediated Mm. by the senses or perception. and, and and that puts truth in, in a very interesting place because truth is not what is out there. It's our current best explanation of what is out there. And if the explanation is pretty good, it's going to do a lot of good for us. So see Newton's theory.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: for example, is, is it true? I don't know. It's, yeah. do, do you view it as true? Cause
1: yeah, I'm kind of the consummate pragmatist here, so is it helpful? Mm. Is what I would ask.
0: <laughs> right. I think I think it's 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 fitting with reality on Earth. And therefore it it has a high value of truth. If you go on to mm. the galactic scale and now you want to launch satellites and so on, you know, you probably want to look at, at general relativity. And that's that's truer in a sense, but truth is is fittingness um, between, yeah. between a conception and what is out there, but th- there's context, right? And the context matters. I yeah.
1: Think. No, and I should say, is it true and is it helpful are two separate questions. So, um, and yes, I agree that true... That it can, yes, it can be true and unhelpful and it can be true and or more true and unhelpful. It can be more true and are We're, we're
0: just assuming that we're good meaning people, right? Aiming at living well. Yeah. But of course, uh, for a lot of the people who manage to uh, have the kind of power that they have through, um, I don't know, getting a lot of support from people. To them, they are showing an aspect of reality that they know a lot of these people will see as true and be part of them, and they have um, nefarious intent. So, um, yeah, but the picture they're painting seems very true to whoever is looking at it, that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. So what is your fourth camp?
0: So I think, I think that's that's part of it i mean looking at truth not not as reality and this confusion is is has been around for a long long time um i like to use the example of the christian apocalypse so in greek apocalypse means um an unveiling or taking something out of its hiding place and it, it just, I think, shows a tendency of humans to want to see things what they are. A big thing in the New Testament is the theme of blindness, where people don't recognize Jesus or don't recognize the truth. They, they literally don't see. Or they're blind to it. And I think that there is um, a kind of uh, feeling that we want to know, and, they, and, and then people say the truth. But I say that's reality. And that is a naive and completely unrealistic wish to see the mm. behind the scenes, right? Because we are mm. confined to our mind, which uh, basically creates a controlled hallucination, according to Anil Seth. Um, and this is what we have to remember truth is relationship, I think, is a novel approach that most people don't. Um, don't really entertain what 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 do you mm. think?
1: I mean I'm I'm you know I'm kind of the yeah, I, I guess like the the new the, the the new camp, let's say that I would kind of advocate for is the is the meta camp right the camp that draws from all the camps and so I would say like yet another camp, you know like your camp truth is a relationship could would be something to draw from, you know, if I go back to the question under what circumstances is which way of relating to truth or which camp on truth helpful, like we can have it all. Like we don't even need to decide. Sometimes we can think of truth as black and white. Sometimes we can think it doesn't exist. Sometimes we can think we don't need it. Sometimes we can think of it as a relationship. That's kind of where I guess I arrive in my very non-dual, like I don't need to, I don't need to make like a decision um and and uh i we i we can like kind of welcome all the camps um uh and uh use them when they're when they're help- i guess then i am kind of the constant pragmatist use them when they're when they're helpful um but if i were to kind of um let's say tr- try to just respond more directly i mean i think i think it sounds like your camp is similar to Correct me if I'm wrong, kind of where Richard Rorty was coming from with his more pragmatic
0: I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
1: On yeah, he he's a he was a brilliant pragmatic philosopher based at Stanford, but because um well, I don't need to go into the kind of drama. Um, well, I guess sure, um, because he was like analytic philosophy is kind of what reigns the day in
0: mm-hmm. U.S.
1: academia. He was stuck into the comparative literature department, um, but he, I think he, I think that's kind of was was it, like truth is not something that can be kind of like a hundred percent ascertained. Um, there's a fittingness quality, and I think what I think. And I don't, I'm not a Richard Rorty expert, so I shouldn't, but it, it was, it was something like truth should be in service of, and like philosophy should be in service of, and for him, philosophy should be in service of democracy. So yeah, there's, there's also a pragmatic orientation there of what, what version of truth or what vision of truth or what theory of truth can support an open society, an open democratic society
0: yeah yeah that's true the, the question is for me is like what happens if we go past the um the ends and thinking about the ends and ends that we generally think are are good but actually we can't agree with every people on what end is good and therefore there's going to be strife over that uh what about finding the truth about about concepts in a way that makes them uh, makes our whole um, understanding of the world something that is robust and not uh, full of contradictions or so what is the relationship between um, let's say love and living well? We want to find a true definition for love, and we need to do it in in the context of living well so that we know if there's the fittingness that is, truth there and um it goes I think a little bit beyond the um the actions that people take and and what actions that they they take over there um yeah so I don't know i i didn't mean to go on this <laughs> to go on this tangent for uh for too yeah. long um yeah but'm I'm, I'm interested if you, if you're thinking about the the synthesis of the of the three camps like how do you how do you view this uh, manifesting itself in the in the world?
1: Yeah, good question. Is this just me playing around in my head? So I think I think who this is especially helpful for. I think who this is for, more than anything, is um, people whose profession people truth truth tellers. Let's say people whose professions or livelihoods are very wrapped up in. So we could say scientists, we could say journalists. I think it's really more for journalists than anyone else. I see journalists as the people who prime, who are most kind of um, in a way that is to the detriment of journalism, like clinging to naive realism because they're scared that there's nowhere else to go because they, they see the only other options are relativism, which like if there's no truth at all, why even try to – why even try? And, and nihilism, if, they, if all that matters is power, then again, why, like, let's just be activists. Let's just be advocate. you know? Um, so I see journalists as kind of those who can, or COVID is actually a great, a great example where we, like public health experts and our authorities kind of clung to this outdated black and white, right? Like vaccines are safe. No masks. Oh wait, yes, masks. It, 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 tra- communicating in very in certain terms in a way that that, uh, that was um, backfired, <laughs> really, because when people can smell that it's not so black and white, people can smell the gray, and our authorities are not offering us anything gray. Then naturally, people run to conspiracy theory or run to somewhere else who's offering well, they sense another part of the story. They, yeah, sense they sense which dishonesty, which was,
0: which was there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, and I mean, this is, you know, this is very much in the, in the, in the case of science. And I mean, with science, I can, I can't go much, deep. but so, you know, again, if instead of, and, and not that anyone communicated as vaccines are hundred percent safe, but it's obviously different to say vaccines have legitimate risks. Let's talk about those risks. And their public health benefits, we have we have decided with these group of people, or here's what we think. We think that their public health benefits outweigh their risks for these populations. It's a much more gray but much more honest way of communicating. And I think to the extent that we cling to naive realism or we cling to black and white truth, we being let's say scientists, journalists, or expert authorities, people who we are who have historically delivered us the truth. I think that we do that to our detriment. We do that to our peril. And so I think this this um, kind of new way of relating to true, integral way, integrated, Metacamp, uh, pra- pragmatic synthesis on truth would be particularly helpful for, yeah, our, our experts, our truth tellers, our professional truth tellers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you could see that um, there is such a, uh demonization of people who notice that uh, the gatekeepers are not doing their job very well even though that part was was true um and then of course the the alternatives which is just like every crazy thing that you see on facebook or something that that isn't great uh but like you say, there there is a, a something that's true in every camp, and I think that the camp that that uh, turned to conspiracy theories or something that was, in a way, a natural response to sensing dishonesty from the people who are supposed to be one hundred percent reliable and um, and honest. I I think again, it's 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 also very interesting to see how the discussion around the truth and the need to get to this like 100% certain, um, you know, thinking mode, which is just not how nature works. We live in a, in a, in a world that's in constant flux where things are changing Mm. and, and the certainty, the more you're going to strive for certainty in your life, the more you're going to suffer. Because what can you do? It is like kind of going and fighting off the windmills, right? Like uh, Don Quixote or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it happened with with COVID too, because in the midst of all this uh, storm about vaccines, yes, no, yes, no. I think a lot of people just got so caught up in it that... Uh, They couldn't even see outside of this thing. And they think that was the whole world is vaccines, yes or no. And how safe is it? Where the point in life, I think, more than it is about uh, staying alive is great. But if you're staying alive for too long and you don't live well, like that is a problem. And you could really ruin your here and now and your life and make it a life not worth living if you cling on so much to this rule of like, I have to keep living. And I'm not saying this to to make a stand or, or take a stand, but at some point, I think um, on Joe Rogan, there was uh, Robert Malone, this very uh-huh. infamous. Uh, yeah. And that, that was a very interesting moment because I listened to that episode. That yeah. W- maybe two or three instances of him I was like, okay, that is a bit weird or something. But overall it was not it was not um, controversial. And when he said there's a, a mass psychosis, sh- should you liken it to World War II or Nazis? No, that's stupid, that's stupid. Don't do that. It's like irrelevant. But was there a mass psychosis in the sense that we we've all gone to like deal with this one aspect of our life and we made it the the whole of our lives? Absolutely, I think mm. we got we got hijacked by this um, by this um, discussion over the truth mm. when there is no truth in that sense, and we should have been able to zoom out and see things from a larger perspective. Um mm. yeah, so I don't know where this is leading me, but I'm I'm curious to to hear from you what what it makes you think of.
1: Yeah, I mean, how would one have communicated about the vaccine if one were coming from, you know, this pragmatic synthesis on truth? I mean, I I just I think, mm. I think it would have been, yeah, I just think it would have been more gray, more honest, more uncertain, more, I mean, and it just more truthful. I mean, in that respect, more truthful, more fitting, let's say to reality. But, um but I think that what the, what the other thing that this kind of way of relating to truth can do is it can, we don't have to be scared of people like Robert Malone, right? We don't have to be scared of of anyone who's bringing this like tiny little kernel of of something that may be, like partially true that we can integrate into the our understanding of whatever phenomenon we're talking about like like um uh you know Alex Jones um has has talked about um I forget what it is something something you know turned like the water turning the frogs gay or I can't remember what the claim is it's oh. <laughs> some claim that on the face of it sounds absurd and then and like I can't and I'm forgive me I shouldn't even be bringing this up because I don't know how to cite it appropriately but there is somehow some little partial truth there and I can't remember what it was but the point is the bigger point is like we don't have to be so scared when we're operating from this pragmatic syn- synthesis meta camp. I should come up with a better name for this place. No partial truth is scary anymore. Right. Someone saying, This is the whole truth and all the truth and nothing but the truth. Well, whatever. You don't agree with you, but I'll take the little kernel you have in there and I'll integrate it into this, 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 you know, this, uh, this synthetic uh, synthesis on truth that I'm building. I don't have to be scared. I don't even have to be scared of, you know, um, f- you know, in physics, it's like, does anything even exist at all? Or is this all just strings? Like, are we even real? It's like, I don't even have, I don't have to be scared of any of that. It's like, maybe we're not real. And maybe none of this is real. Whatever you physicists find is fine, is all right with me, you know, because <laughs> I'm still over here trying to like help govern us like you know shepherd an open society through a pandemic and either your little part your partial truth or whatever is gonna like help me or or maybe it's not that relevant and the fact that we're all made of strings is not scary to me anymore if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i think so and i think i think that uh, there was an a really interesting dynamic specifically with the pandemic because in the first couple of months you honestly don't know if this pandemic is going to uh, kill half of us you know within half a year you don't know which way it's going to mutate you don't know and if you're faced with uh, an accelerating semi truck you know accelerating at you 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 should make a, a quick decision and be you, you know certain Go, go figure whatever you find certain you should act on it and you know it doesn't matter if it's right or left at that moment you know that staying in one place um, you're going to be doomed so it created this whole thing of like we must act right now right now and and this kind of uh, makes the whole decision making process a very binary one it's like yes or no come on we, we have to go for it right at some point i don't think this was fitting like as soon as we understand that this is a relatively mild um pandemic which is a view held by you know i think every immunolo- uh, every immunologist i heard um i forget the guy who would have went on uh, sam harris's podcast maybe eric topol or somebody else mm. um and you know they say uh, this is a relatively mild one it's like okay, we should have gone back to now breathing in and, and looking at it again and recognizing that there isn't an accelerating semi-truck coming at us and be- becoming comfortable with the fact that there is no there is no certainty. And I think this also relates to like living well on a personal level for all of us. If 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 we as people live with the sense that um, the, I have to get this right, or I have to to get to that specific situation that's on my mind, and if I don't make it, I'm I'm going to be in terrible shape, and and kind of focus on that and really wanting to be certain, you're going to live a very a very unwell life because. Um, Life is a dance and you're faced with new obstacles every moment and you have to mm-hmm. kind of navigate around that and you have to be comfortable with, with uncertainty. Um, is, that, is that something that you've seen people starting to do? I think it's this comfortability, um, uh, comfort with uh, uncertainty that's really needed at this time.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I've seen a lot of calls for it. Comfortable with uncertainty, and I think that's definitely that's definitely part of what that's that's definitely part of this. What's what's let's say being called for here is uh is just getting comfortable with uncertainty. Yeah. Um. I think. um, Yeah, I think. I think, um, and I can say more about you know. I think part of it is getting comfortable with uncertainty and comfortable with grayness, comfortable with not knowing. We don't know everything about the vaccine. Maxi- Where the knowledge is unfolding; it's perpetually unfolding. The science is never settled. <laughs> you know the right. the science is settled is a is is called a is considered a thought terminating cliche. It's a way of like the science is by definition. Unsettled. <laughs> mm-hmm. We arrive at new places of settledness that allow us to do things we were not able to do. That's how we know that there's a fit right between truth and reality is that we're able to do things and accomplish things successfully. But um part of it is yeah, part of it is getting comfortable with uncertainty and grayness and not knowing. I think part of it is letting more people make be, be knowledge creators. And this is their third, you know, so I mean, just to give a very, very specific example um sure i'll just give a very specific, so geophagy is the geophagy do you know what geophagy is
0: i i understand the greek it means eating earth but oh wow
1: that's amazing that you speak greek that's exactly what it is
0: that's exactly
1: <laughs> yeah. what it is it is the native american practice of consuming soil so <laughs> native americans had this practice of, of eating s- soil and but well what they did was they would in and, and this is in this part of the maybe throughout the United States but there's a lot of oak trees here so there's acorn trees and they would make acorn meal and acorns have have some have tannins in them and they mm-hmm. would use they would mix soil into the acorn meal in order to detoxify the tannins and wow. then so I, so when I was in grad school, I was in a soil science class and I did my soil science paper on geophagy. But when I looked at the scientific literature on geophagy, what I found was scientific literature was like, wow, we, can you believe that we, like, we figured out that what Native Americans were doing made sense. What they were doing was detoxifying the, it's like, did we figure out that what, We didn't figure, I mean, they already knew that it made sense. They've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years. All we figured out was that we could understand it. That's all we figured out was that we are able to understand what they already knew. So there is, so yeah, I would say get comfortable with uncertainty. Let more people create more knowledge, especially when the stakes are high, especially when uncertainty is high and stakes are high. You need more people participating in the production of knowledge in order for people to trust the result that comes out the other end i mean that's i'm speaking of post-normal science right now i can say more about that but so i would say come to with uncertainty let more people make more knowledge embrace different ways of knowing maybe that's kind of going back to the indigenous or eastern medicine or just other ways of knowing and um and then, yeah, release your your grip on truth entirely. Sometimes, sometimes make room for purposeful fiction, when what would be more helpful is not a truth. You know, we we can we can make room for that. That's what I would say. This the, the diagnosis.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I really I really love it. I think that our unhealthy relationship with truth comes from you know years and years of having our formal education system and really not just the education system but the education culture um, putting such strong emphasis on giving children from a very young age the correct kind of knowledge that they're going to to um, use you know and uh, this this really stymies uh, critical thinking of course because you're just handing people down dogmas and uh, you're chastising them if they don't actually follow after you when the test is, is given to them. And I think like, uh, to give a practical example from my life with my daughter who is four years old, so that's still young, but I think it's, it's good to um, ask people questions, especially children, because they're not, um, they're not so afraid of getting things wrong as, as adults. Yeah. Who have already gone through the education system are but um, ask them what they think is going to happen if they do X and you know let them be wrong because unless it's going to be a lethal mistake of some sort or a yeah. traumatizing mistake or something you want to be uh, making mistakes so that you understand that next time you're going to have intellectual humility and you're not going to invest so much of your identity in knowing things. And this is why it's so painful also for people that I talk with sometimes. If I do dialectic and it's all about asking questions like what is love? What is justice? What is the good? What is beauty? People are so um, afraid that, you know, because I think that we think that uh, when we're 20 something we should just magically understand these concepts because everybody's acting like they do of course they don't but that's the facade mm. we're putting up and so people mm-hmm. are really unwilling to examine themselves because what does it say about me um um what everybody knows what it is and I don't no no everybody doesn't know relax but they're just not admitting it right um mm-hmm. so i i think that's that's a, a practical thing to to take away uh, from the discussion on truth is like you want to be able to let people have their untruthful beliefs tested out so they can see for themselves Mm. right
1: yeah definitely yeah I have a five and a half year old so I'm with you on uh, yeah letting them learn from experience
0: And and also like and (laughs) and it can be a a playful thing because if you meet a flat earther, it's like that's great, you know. It's like I challenge you to build a GPS system that works.
1: Exactly, where the rubber meets the road. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, but that's also why that's also why I don't like you said like we're spoon feeding dogmas. Like, I yeah, I I guess I just like under some circumstances that might actually still be useful under like some, like in the military. I don't know. It's like sometimes when the stakes are super high and it's like, you are going to learn this thing and I'm going to shove it into your brain. But is that a way to cultivate a love of learning? No, that's a way to just shove something into someone's brain. But in a way, I mean, the way I feel about it too is just like, thank God we've given birth to so many ways of teaching or so many ways of understanding truth or so many ways of everything and we can use different ones when they're useful. We don't need to call them wrong or there's some that kind of suck. We don't want to use them that often. They're not fun. They're not fair. They're not beautiful. They're not just, but there's, you know, maybe they're useful in emergency circumstances. Um, but yeah, I mean, build the GPS system. That's it. It's like, then, then um, believing in flat Earth can just be an idea that I that somebody likes. It's like a work of art. It's like you get to just like it, but you're not going to use it.
0: You <laughs> right. can just
1: think about it and enjoy it. But the one that you're going to use to build a GPS system is a very different, you know. Maybe and maybe that's a weird example. Like, how could you possibly hold both? But a way in which I think you can hold, but like. You can both believe gender is real and believe it's not real. You can believe it's real when you want to, I mean, or race. I, we, can, we can decide that race is real if we want to do reparations or affirmative action or something. It's like, yeah, I'm going to pretend race is real so that we can r- right this historical wrong and blah, blah, blah. And then I can just let go of race altogether when I want to just you know, feel into my shared humanity with all humans, irrespective of skin color. So we, I don't, we, we don't even need to make like totally a decision in a way. It's like we can kind of just use them all. hold, hold the, and, and some of them will obviously be more useful, more good, more beautiful, more true than others. But for other ones, like if you want to believe at the Earth is flat, sometimes it's fine. Just don't bring it into the design room when we're designing the GPS system, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, or, or, or bring it. No, I, I, I want people. I want to see it. I, I want to <laughs> see it, the, the it, GPS system. It yeah no i no, I want knows? to see people earnestly working to make it work you know this is what I want yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's like yeah playful and there's really no reason to have your um to have your blood boil when you hear something like that because you could think okay. about um such retorts or, or rebuttals to uh anything of the of the sort so I think um
1: yeah no, I think that's right. what
0: we should focus on.
1: It's so funny. I mean, just on that, it's like, it's funny to me that our debates about these kinds of things are so abstract. It's like, as if, I mean, not as if, but in this case, I, it's not as if one of them is true. I do actually believe they earth this round and it's not just my, I mean, it, it. you know, so, but for some things, it's like we have these abstract debates and yeah, if there's something to this of like, let's actually try using these, these ideas and see what they're useful for. And sorry, flat Earth, your ideas just not, just didn't end up being useful for that many things, if, if yeah. anything at all. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's useful for. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's um, useful for. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I think it's useful for being for showing everybody that you're very staunch contrarian, and you, you know, <laughs> there,
1: you're going, yeah.
0: you're yeah. going to, yeah. Um, it's a yeah.
1: badge. It's a badge of staunch contrarianism.
0: Yeah, there it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I absolutely agree <laughs> about about uh, race is Something to to see that because it it is, it is just like um, Newtonian physics versus versus general relativity. It's like the, the scope really changes what what you want to use because it, it exactly it, there is, there is fittingness and we can't. Um, I think. This kind of touches on a a thought that I had, you know, of how to actually include more and uh, more more people and see them as our allies. Because people who, if I can figure out that um, your conception of, of living well, the things you want in life, and actually people, you know, it doesn't matter if it's flat earthers anti-vaxxers it doesn't matter who it is there is always a lot more shared humanity than differences about um about the details about something like we all want our kids to do well whatever that is we all want to do well and so on and if you manage to find that shared humanity you can view the other person as an ally it doesn't mean that um you have to You have to think like them or agree with them on on how to reach where we all want to reach. But for the very abstract things of what kind of life we want to live, I think that is generally um, very much the the same for everyone. And um, yeah, absolutely. And because we've lived in a world where in the 19th century there was still, I mean, even the 20th century, To be honest um there was such a strong emphasis on skin color you're right i always um found it quite weird both that there are people who want to keep it that way but now uh put whoever was um at the bottom before now at the top and still keep the racism very much alive and there are the people who's like i already live as if it doesn't exist anymore never existed you know, I'm just living my and both are, are kind of um, as you say, not really integrating the two views. Whereas mm-hmm. keeping both things at, at the same time in mind, um, I think that's a brilliant idea because it, it really helps kind of shift perspectives which which in its own right is is an amazing skill to have.
1: I agree. Amen. Yeah. Speaking my (laughs) language.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you, um, have you seen anything, uh, done concretely any methods for, um, trying to educate people maybe differently about, about this whole field of truth, how it's perceived in media or anything like that?
1: No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, No. And I don't see this out there. This is why. And I'm not really sure what to do with it. It Like, on the one hand, it feels new and helpful. And on the other hand, it feels so obvious that maybe it's not really new or helpful. I can't quite tell. But I don't know. Is this something that is worth putting on a megaphone about and saying, hey, world, you know, is that like, should I write a I mean, not that I could get. I mean, not, but um, I mean, actually, yeah. I, I I give talks. I give public talks, not infrequently, and um, I do wonder, like, is there something here that I should kind of try to really kind of name and frame and offer as a as a you know the I I'd need to give it a good name, but um, I mean, but do you think it would be helpful? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, uh, seeing how much suffering we're, we're experiencing <laughs> because of our misunderstanding of the concept of truth and our can I think there's definitely um, moral upside to to dealing with that and uh-huh. find it, and finding a way to do it. I don't think it's it's very easy. And um, you know, it, it could cost you a lot, personally, if you went and uh, invested a lot of time in it. But um, I'm thinking um, there's more to talk about in that field, for sure, oh, yeah. because- Well,
1: here, here's one question, I mean, kind of tangential, but since you brought up Newtonian physics and the theory of relativity, I mean, something that has always confused me is, and tell me if I'm wrong, I don't know enough about physics But my sense is there has been this kind of search for the theory of everything, right? For the theory Mm -hmm. that, but why not, why does it not make sense to us that different theories apply at different scales of reality, at different levels of organization? To me, that's like, that's the theory of everything is the meta theory is once you've discovered which laws apply in which circumstances, across all circumstances, that's it you got it you have right like is that or no tell me
0: i mean i'm i'm not a physicist first of all uh but no i think you're pointing out to do something true i think that the the search is there because we understand that some calculations don't add up so we know there's there's but something what, out what there does add up mean despite.
1: is it does it mean like at the edges we don't know how to make sense like where does Newtonian physics end and theory of relativity begin?
0: Oh, is so it like, that, is that, that what was, we're? Um, yeah, basically. I mean that that's exactly or, what happened. You they know, used... wa- let's
1: just say water. Like the properties of water obviously change if you're looking like this, or if you're looking mm-hmm. like you know. So is it that, and is it we don't understand what's going on at the at the gray zone between them or? Because to me, I don't know, to me, it seems to make a lot of sense that there would be little different laws at different scales.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not qualified to answer. I know that what happened with Newtonian yeah. physics is that they applied them to other celestial bodies, and then they found, oh, we, we actually can't predict where Mercury right. is going to be. So we need a different thing. And I think that's, that's the type of thing that we have with physics today. So the search continues. And the search will uh-huh. continue forever because right all because we c-
1: reality is infinite yeah
0: reality reality yeah. is um, we keep um,
1: infinitely small and infinitely huge so
0: and and we keep yeah. um, we keep adding nuance to our understanding and you could always keep uh, getting but, more okay but actually this, even this even if space is the- finite.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, this may be segues. I know we don't have very much time, but this may be kind of segues to the other (laughs) idea that we were going to talk because at a certain point, I have a a totally uninformed hypothesis that at a certain point, you start to see a pattern. It's not like we're just going deeper and deeper and deeper and everything is new every time. Like we start to see some kind of a pattern. And so then we can kind of predict I would imagine what laws would apply and I'll just like, I I can keep going with this or maybe I'll just let you respond to that. And then kind of.
0: No, yeah. Just, just as you said, I was, I was so much into the the focus of truth, but I know that we discussed maybe talking about the factual of nature of things. And I think that the word factual just came to my mind the minute you were like, this, this is about, because yeah, I think fractals are, are fascinating. I think this is exactly what it is because a fractal is basically a, a self-similar pattern where things change, but they don't change so much that it looks chaotic to you, but they're not so static that you see that the thing isn't changing, right? And I think that's exactly mm. what happens with um, with knowledge and with different scales and with emergent properties, which I think is a it's an important term here because that's exactly what you say about water is like, if you look at, at, at individual molecules, it doesn't really make much sense and you can't actually predict the way they behave if you look at them. But then you have, you zoom out, you see water and this it's this distinct um, perceptible kind of one thing, object that you can uh, know the physics of and... Um, yeah, I think that is that is exactly that. That's what we're looking for in physics and in everywhere are patterns and that's how our mind works, right? Um, concepts are abstractions of patterns. So uh, if, if it's the concept of a chair, it's basically we, we see a chair a lot and we just get uh, an abstraction of that in our mind. Now, for most people, it's based on how a chair, or what a chair looks like. Uh, but to make it more consistent, when we realize that the chair, the abstract chair is not yellow, is not made of wood, could also be made of metal, all, all these things, the, then if we do away with accidental properties we remain with an abstraction of a pattern, and then a chair is a piece of furniture, a piece of furniture made to um, for for sitting on or something like that, right? Um, so basically, our mind is, I think, patterns upon patterns upon patterns, kind of interacting with one another, and the world is fractal in nature because from moment to moment it changes all the time, but not in a way that's unrecognizable to us.
1: yeah I mean I, I think that and I think the implications of this are pretty profound because you know we say like, we, we say everything is connected we'll say everything is connected but what are the epistemological implications of that if everything is connected then then we can know just by knowing like part, some element of it we can kind of know the whole in some way we can know all of it by knowing by by seeing the pattern we can know um like if our hands are a map of the cosmos we can know the cosmos by looking at our hands i and maybe it's helpful to give a couple examples and what and then mm-hmm. say why this is even worth thinking about so there's this old just to give two examples there's this old um there's an old book about herbs called the doctrine of signatures and it, it has these like you know little like if it if 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 a plant if it's yellow and it grows by water it's probably a diuretic diuretic is something Hmm. that helps us pee Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah if it's yellow and it grows by water like we co-evolved with plants of course they're going to communicate to us in a language that we can understand if it yell if it's yellow and it grows by water it probably is a diuretic Right. We don't need to know. You know, we can just we have co-evolved with reality in a way that we can read it. Mm. Um, and that's not so much a fractal. But a, another example is um, the three sisters. So throughout the history of Mesoamerica, corn, beans and squash have been grown together because the, squ- the, the corn is a, is, is a pole for the beans to climb up. And then and then the beans fix nitrogen for all of them. And then the squash shades all of their roots. And so they were, and then and then you know, scientist comes along and it's like, wow, like can you believe that corn beans and squash have complementary nutrients? It's like that's not a coincidence. <laughs> it's, <laughs> not a, it's because they grow well together in the earth that they have complement ha, that they you know then take up nutrients that are complementary and therefore complementary to us in our bodies. And therefore create kind of a balanced diet. Like it all goes hand in hand. It all goes hand in hand. And so there's just, there, there is a way in which to me, we don't need to know so much if we're paying attention to the patterns in a way or we're paying attention to the fractal nature of reality. And right now, you know, it's like the world is in crisis. There's so much we need to, we think we need to figure out. There's so much we need to measure and we need to figure out and ice cores and how much is the climate changing and how's it a little, 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 so much. And, I, and it just, I just, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not anti-knowing or anti-science or any, you know, but it's, I just believe that it is possible to know whether something it's not it's not like know everything it's a kind of knowing it's to know whether something is kind of is like a solution like the the fact that three that the three sisters grow together so well together is kind of like all we need to know about them in order to know Mm -hmm. that then eating them would be a nutritious you know it um i yeah i i i think there. no i guess there is a way of knowing or how to to just kind of put a pin in it. Um, Being in loving relationship with what we are trying to know is part of, we can know like this Mm -hmm. and or, and um, I think being, yeah, there's something about being in loving relationship with what we are trying to know that will give us the information we need in a faster, more efficient and and like loving way where we are actually helping and protecting the thing we are trying to know because we are now in dialogue and relationship with it rather than trying to like figure it out
0: yeah yeah i think in a, yeah,
1: in a cartesian think, sense
0: yeah and <laughs> i think i think it it goes back to this triad you mentioned of uh, of beauty goodness and and truth because i see that with the concepts in our mind There is absolutely nothing more beautiful than thinking about a concept, relating it to other concepts, uh, going with axioms, testing them out to see, okay, if this, then that, doing the the logical work and ending up with something where there are no contradictions in it. Do you get a stamp from God that says, congratulations, this is the right (sighs) answer? No, not in dialectic, not in science. Impossible, actually, to positively say this theory is true, right? Every theory is going to be superseded by a better theory. But um, there is, and this is something that was acknowledged by many uh, philosophers of science, but, um, and the one I'm thinking uh, immediately about is David Deutsch, who is a physicist and a philosopher, and I recommend reading his books. Um but there's just this immutable connection between truth and elegance and and beauty and
1: mm, yeah and,
0: and and true things totally tend to be oh, elegant and and beautiful. Uh, but the, the interesting point is that
1: I guess it depends what perspective we have. <laughs>
0: perspective because they can be very beautiful like I for for the racist who thinks about like the superiority of his own race that's a beautiful theory too and we have to acknowledge that um he's probably never related it to something that's high level like living well therefore he cannot see that he's actually doing himself a disservice by hating Mm. others um but this is, this is exactly it. So once we find something beautiful, I think we should, again, do as, as factors do and kind of take it up to another level and see what emerges and how it relates to something outside of it. But it's, it's really beautiful if we see something and then um, see what emerges out of it. Because there is, also, there is also, it's very energetically efficient to be able to compress um, knowledge or information into smaller bits that you could unpack. And now they're simple again. And when things are simple, they're, they're not so beautiful. Looking at a, at a simple thing, like literally just like one thing without many relations is unlikely to be perceived as beautiful. But you, uh, you have the ability to unpack it to see it beautiful. Or if you'd like a metaphor, put it under a microscope. Now see the beauty that it's really made of on the microscopic scale.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think think beauty is a great indicator, right? Beauty is meaningful to us. It's telling the fact that we find something beautiful is telling us something about it, right? Like... um, I guess like another an example that comes to mind is um, there is this story of that this, um, so, so foie gras, you, you, do you know how mm-hmm. foie gras was um, invented? Actually, I didn't know this. So no. foie gras was invented in the time of the Pharaoh. So foie okay. gras, this is, this is what, so foie gras is actually an, is like a naturally occurring phenomenon. Every, every fall geese, Gorge themselves with dry leaves in order to prepare for the winter. And mm-hmm. that's what makes their liver soft and taste good is, is after they've gorged themselves with dry leaves or, um, and so, and it was the Pharaoh who I, this is, the, the, this is a, I heard this in a Ted talk. Don't believe everything you hear on the internet, but this is a story <laughs> from Dan Farber. It's a great Ted talk. Dan Farber, he's a chef and he tells the story about how, Yeah, it was the Pharaoh who said to his slaves, he said, this is so good, figure out a way to get this to me all year round. So, which means that slaves had to force feed geese, which is something that nobody would wanna do, right? It's only within the context of slavery that you can force someone to do this to a goose because Mm -hmm. the Pharaoh wants to eat this food all year round instead of just when it's naturally occurring in the fall. Okay, so then, you know, centuries later, the I guess France has like an Olympics for food, and um, I don't know what it's called. There's some competition, and um, and this there's a farmer who he only he only produces foie gras seasonally. He doesn't force feed his geese; he just lets them eat whatever they want. Which means he only has foie gras in the fall, right when they've already when they were in the winter when they've already. And so he enters his um, naturally occurring foie gras into this competition. This competition is purely how good it tastes. It has nothing to do with how well you treated your geese. Okay. And this, and he wins like every time, which to me is like, we can take, we can even taste like beauty is meaningful. What tastes Mm -hmm. good is meaningful. We Mm -hmm. can even taste it on our taste buds. We didn't need to know, you know, that this farmer treated his geese better. It even tastes better, right? And that, and. Like we don't take the story so seriously, but treat it more as a metaphor. It's like we are sensitive, we are receptive, we are able. If it's yellow and it grows by water, it's probably a diuretic. Like stay in touch, <laughs> stay in touch with reality, stay in touch with the patterns, stay in touch with the fractal nature of reality, and it, and and there there is a, and it will be. That's why I'm saying it's a way of knowing that because again, it's it's not not someone didn't have to figure out. Like, hey, this guy should treat his geese better. It is by it, it. all went together. It went hand in hand. Treating the geese better made the geese, or not force feeding them dry leaves and just letting them do it when they wanted to made the foie gras taste better.
0: Yeah, I mean, it can be as and, simple
1: as that. Maybe. You know, and
0: then of course, and of course, you're going to run an experiment later and be like, oh, guess what? There are also hormones that are only. Um, uh, around going around the geese bodies in the fall right and they help with some yeah. metabol- metabolizing and stuff right. and then you're going to be like oh now we understand yeah exactly
1: which is that's... like the scientists being like oh we figured out that geophagy makes sense it's like did you figure it out or did you just find your own way of understanding it exactly and yeah. and, and maybe my point now is like i don't know if we have time for all those scientists and right now we're not trying we're not trusting our scientists so much these days. So it behooves us to kind of invest in a more, um, you know, human scale, future proof, your house sensitive relating to reality in a loving way, way of knowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I really, really like and appreciate this idea uh, for sure. One thing I've always wondered about is how the hell, uh, the natives of South America found about ayahuasca, for example. It's like, how do you know that these two, yeah. two different plants mixed together into a brew are going to give the shaman a tool which they liken to an x-ray of the soul? It's like, whoa, totally, that is out there. So the, <laughs> and yet, and yeah, yet, so here, they did exactly that. They did,
1: like, Yeah. I think that's a great one. I think another great one is acupuncture. If you believe that it it's not tri- you think that was trial and error? No way. There is no way that could be trial and error, right? It is ancient. There could not have been trial and error. So, it's a great question. What was going on? How did they develop this system or how did they And so that's where I would also bring us back to our co-creation of reality where it's we're not it's not it's not so distinct again like we are a part of what we are trying to understand and so there is a way in which you know there's there's some there's probably there is probably some legitimate and i'm speaking out of place here but communication going on between people in latin america you know the people who discovered ayahuasca and and the plant itself right there's probably some real dialogue that was going on there or some real collaboration, or, you know, I don't I don't know what, what to call it. But yeah, that's where we are not so distinct from what we are trying to understand. We are part of a one phenomenon, we're part of life together. And we're part yeah. of the evolution of life together.
0: Yeah. And it reminds yeah. me of uh, Michael Pollan's book, uh, Botany of Desire, you know, where he kind of takes on the on the perspective of the plant so for example is it is it really us who domesticated the potato or is the potato managed to just like okay i'll change in this way if it means that now i'm going to be super successful in the most grown plant on the planet or something like that and um, yeah it it definitely shows that us and the potatoes are not are more like um having a symbiosis more than anything
1: yeah and, like, life, uh, from the perspective of life, you know, life is just evolving and co-evolving. So, you know, we're definitely some key players here, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we're, we're not, we don't have control, of the, we don't have, like, total control of the steering wheel at all.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely well i'm so glad that we we did get to go a, a little bit into that uh because this is <laughs> such an exciting topic and i don't think we've exhausted it at all um yeah stephanie thank you so much um i'd like i'd like for you to share with uh, listeners more about where you and your work could be found basically
1: <laughs> yeah who am i what do i do um, no, thank you, Al. This really, I don't really get to talk about these things because I often, when I am invited to give talks, I usually keep it a little more, um, I don't know what to call it, more Um, I don't
0: know safe or yeah 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 (laughs) and actually it's not so far uh, out so and actually it's it's so interesting because you know it's in this podcast like that's exactly what I I want people to come and experience something differently right and and some people are like super comfortable with that some people are like Oh my god! I'm not gonna. I'm gonna uh, lose my scientist uh, persona. Uh, <laughs> so I, I really appreciate you going with this.
1: <laughs> thank you. no. To me, it's like therapy because literally, where else am I going to do this? So thank you, Doctor Ayao, for providing me a a, a context in which I can just you know playground where I can just kind of play and be a little free, a little more free. This is very fun. Um, So who, yeah, so I am the executive producer at the Center for Humane Technology. If you saw The Social Dilemma, we are the organization that is featured at the heart of the film. I, um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Steph Lepp.
0: Amazing. That's great, Steph. Um, Yeah, this has been amazing once again. And before I say goodbye, I want to make sure that everybody knows that if it's yellow, and it grows by the water, <laughs> it's probably a diuretic.
1: <laughs> probably. Not certainly. Yes. <laughs> <But> probably. <laughs> yes. Thanks so Thank much, sir.